This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, it's Chelsea Chadder, and you're listening to the Chelsea Heritage Podcast, dedicated to sharing the rich history of Chelsea Football Club. Each episode, I'll be joined by a guest, and we'll be talking about something from the club's past. Could be a manager, a player, an opposition, a particular season, or just perhaps a topic we think you'd like to hear. In this episode, we'll be taking a look back at Chelsea's 1970 FA Cup run, I'm joined by author and Chelsea Encyclopedia, Neil Smithy-Smith. Welcome, Neil. Thank you. Yes, pleased to be here. Thank you. And I'd like to ask you a few questions before we start, Neil, um, so that listeners can get to know you a little bit. First of all, how long have you been a Chelsea fan? Um, well, since the mid-60s. I went to my first game on the 9th of April 1966, Easter Saturday, and we trounced West Ham 6-2 at Stamford Bridge. Nice. And um, can I ask, why why Chelsea and not anybody else? Well, I, I hail from Buckinghamshire, Ivor, and there was always a strong Chelsea connection with the village. I don't know what it was. It seemed that all my, my family had already been, you know, my, my father, my uncles had already been to Stamford Bridge. They'd seen the, uh, the championship side of 55. So, I mean, it was just passed down to me. And, of course, Peter Rosgood was only up the road in Windsor. And, uh, you know, that, that, that there was just a sort of taste to it that Slough and Windsor and the village I lived in, Ivor, were, were a Chelsea stronghold. OK. And um, in obviously the, the long time that you followed the Blues, just um, who have been your favourite players in that time, past or present or in between? Well, it, it all started with, you know, Ozzy, Peter Osgood, as I just said, Charlie Cook, Peter Bonetti, you know, a lot of the people we're going to speak about and then, if you fast forward to the present sort of time, I mean, Zola, obviously Gianfranco Zola was just fantastic, great player, and Rude Hullet as well. And, of course, more, more recently, you know, Frank Lampard, John Terry, DDA Drogba, Petr Cech, you know, the backbone of that great, great side. Great. I wouldn't disagree with you with many of those players. Thanks, Neil. Um, so here we go with Chelsea's 1970 FA Cup run. 
Chelsea finished the 1968-69 season in fifth place and they reached the FA Cup sixth round but were beaten by West Brom. The Blues played in the Intercities Fairs Cup as well, but they lost in the second round to DWS Amsterdam on the toss of a coin. In the summer of 69, Dave Sexton was Chelsea manager and he began the season without any transfers being made. On the opening day, the Blues lost 4-1 to Liverpool at Anfield. That was followed by a 2-0 defeat away at West Ham. Chelsea only lost once in the league in the next 20 games. That was a 2-0 loss away at Leeds. But too many draws prevented them from challenging for the title. However, by the end of the calendar year, they had managed to climb up to third in the table, but 10 points behind Leeds in second when you only got two points for a win. Uh, Neil, Chelsea were second favourites to win the FA Cup that season. How big was the FA Cup back then? I've always said this, that it was massive. I mean... If you, as schoolboys, you could name all the FA Cup winners by, you know, year in, year out, but you'd probably at the same time, you, you might struggle to remember who won the league that year. I think winning the FA Cup, if you spoke to any schoolboy, you know, what was their dream? To play in the FA Cup final at Wembley. Yeah, and um, I think times have slightly changed since then, but I, I, right. I know my dad, one of the things that uh, he shared with me when I was little was, um, I'm not sure if it was made by Esso or whoever, but you used to get the FA Cup winning coin medals and um, it went in this little folder thing that you got and each team had their own one from, from when they won it. So I know how important it was back then. To, yeah, to I, I, had, I, I had that and uh, I, I forget, but I was really annoyed that for years I struggled. I had one missing and I think it was Blackburn Rovers or something, but they'd won it in the last century or something and I just couldn't get that token and strangely enough I mentioned this on social media a couple of years ago and someone sent me a link and I managed to get it so 50 years later I managed (laughs) to get that and I I had to go up in the attic to find that to find that board that you put those those cup tokens on nice nice well that's a nice ending to um uh, to that that's great um um, back to back to this. So uh, Chelsea started 1970 with an FA Cup tie against Birmingham from Division Two. Uh, they played at Stamford Bridge on the 3rd of January, and Chelsea wore a yellow kit for this game. Birmingham had two former Chelsea players in their lineup: Bert Murray and Tony Hately. Murray had won the uh, the League Cup with the Blues back in 1965. Uh, Hately was signed by Tommy Doherty back in 1966 for a club record 100,000 pounds from Aston Villa. He was at the club for less than a season, but he did score the winning goal against Leeds in the 1967 FA Cup semi-final. And he also played in the 2-1 defeat versus Spurs in the final, which ended up being his last game before being transferred to Liverpool for £95,000. During the game against Birmingham, Alan Hudson crossed the ball for Peter Osgood to score the first goal for Chelsea just before half-time. And Ian Hutchinson scored twice in the second half to give Chelsea an easy 3-0 win. Now, Neil, you were at this game. What do you remember about it? And what can you tell us about Ian Hutchinson? Well, like you say, we we wore yellow and blue at home. And I was very superstitious because, um, like we just mentioned, uh, the season before, we'd played in yellow and blue against the Midlands team, West Bromwich Albion, who wore all white and they'd beaten us 2-1. So, uh, uh, you know, I had trepidation that, you know, history could repeat itself. But... um, Birmingham weren't that good. I mean, as you said, I think they were mid-table. I don't even remember them having 
much of a uh, a vocal support that day either, which was surprising. And uh, as you say, Hutch got a couple of routine Hutch goals in the second half where the ball was played in front of him and, you know, he got his head down, shook off a couple of defenders and, and you know, smashed it in the shed end, you know. But yeah, he was he was one of the bravest players. I've said this lots of times. You know, he came back after, a, I think, a couple of broken legs, and um, he, he had a he had a lot a lot of injuries. But you know, he was one of the bravest players I ever saw pull the shirt on. And and to think that he was signed for five thousand pounds from a non-league side in Cambridge that was a, a pretty good signing for the club, really. That's that's right. Uh, in the fourth round, Chelsea were paired with Burnley. Uh, the same thing happened in the 1955-56 season. Um, but actually, that, that tie was settled after a fourth replay was needed. And that was a record at the time for the competition. On the 24th of January, the Blues hosted Burnley at Stamford Bridge. And Chelsea went 2-0 up through Johnny Hollins and Pete Rosgood in the second half. Then Burnley scored two late goals to force a replay three days later. Osgood was unfit, so Charlie Cook took his place. Chelsea went 1-0 down when Ralph Coates scored after 35 minutes. Peter Houseman equalised with 20 minutes left to play to force the game into extra time. However, an early goal from Tommy Baldwin was set up by Houseman before Houseman scored a second late on in the match, giving Chelsea the win. After the match, Dave Sexton said, I couldn't be more pleased with the way they played. My first job is to watch our opponents in tomorrow's replay between Spurs and Palace. And on the form we showed tonight, I don't care which side wins. Now, I know you were at the, the home game, but not the, the replay for this one, uh, Neil. Uh, what are your memories of this tie? And also, what were managers like back then? And what are their similarities and differences between managers of today? Well, I think that, you know, obviously they, they, the managers didn't have to, you know, face the cameras. They didn't have to even speak to the press in those days. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think who the Burnley manager was. I think it might have been a man called Harry Potts, but like all Dower Northerners, you know, you didn't really get anything from him. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to hear you say then that Dave Sexton had quite a bit to say about the Burnley replay. But I don't remember much about, you know, the, the first game and what the managers might have had to say about that. What I do remember was that, um, as you said, John Hollins scored with one of his trademark, you know, 30 yarders, quite a low one, I think, at the shed end. And then Alan Hudson sublimely set up Peter Rosgood for a far post header. If you've not seen this on YouTube, you know, he juggles the ball up onto his thigh and then makes a, a beautiful cross to the far post where Peter Rosgood uh, beats Peter Meller and heads it at the roof of the net. And we thought that that was that, you know, it was pretty routine. Burnley were... I believe, quite near the bottom of the first division. But they stormed back, to be fair to them. And, you know, Ralph Coates, you mentioned, who scored in the replay, took the game by the scruff of the neck. And you might have heard the name Martin Dobson because in years to come, he went to Everton. And I, I can only compare him quite a lot with Frank Lampard, that he was a, a goal-scoring midfielder. And yet on that day... Um, he'd started in the number five shirt for Burnley and, and when they were two down, they, they pushed him up the field and I think he scored with, you know, a couple of decent efforts. Thanks, Neil. Um, Palace actually beat Spurs in their cup game and they earned a fifth round tie with Chelsea. Bobby Tamblin had only played a handful of games for Chelsea in August that season and then he got a knee ligament injury against West Ham. He was then loaned to Crystal Palace back in January to become the Eagles' first ever loan signing. 
but he only made three appearances for them and he failed to score before returning back. Neil, what are your memories of Bobby Tambling? Oh, my word. How long have we got? He was, uh, I should have mentioned him in the list of players when I, when I started talking about Osgood and Cook because the very first game I went to, that 6-2 uh, trouncing of West Ham, Bobby scored twice, as did George Graham. And Terry Venables scored from a penalty and Ron Harris got the other goal. See, I remember that. Um, but Bob, Bobby was a sublime finish. It was great. To, I used to sit on the benches in the, uh, in the West Stand lower and Bobby would quite often be, you know, an out-and-out left winger. And you just wanted the ball to go to him because he, he he was fast, he was strong. And, of course, he had a fantastic shot. You know, he scored quite a few goals from 20, you know, 30 yards. Didn't get many with his head, I must admit. Um, but 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 Bobby was, oh, he was just, he, he, was, he was so unlucky not to get more England caps, you know, a bit like Peter Osgood. You know, I think Bobby got perhaps two, two caps, something like that. I think in another time, in another era, he would have been capped a lot of times because his goal-scoring record was, was was quite phenomenal. Yeah, and I, I think he's, he's kind of... If he'd been in that 70s final, then I think yeah. he'd be talked about a lot more than he is now. But I think because he wasn't part of that that final, I think he's, apart from being the top goal-scorer, I don't think he's talked about enough, really, or been covered enough by people to appreciate him. No, he, he was very unlucky. That I, I, I seem to recall that season when we won the Cup in 17. Um, he'd been sidelined with injury for most of the season, yet in years gone by, you know, he was nailed on. You would never start a game without him. And then, quite strangely, um, in the run-up to the 70 Cup final, I think um, uh, Alan Hudson received his injury at West Bromwich Albion on Good Friday. And I think Bob, Bobby came on a sub for him and 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 he also went off injured and hence they you know they both played no further part in the season it's a, a, a shame really for for Bobby for his career at Chelsea to end like that but um go back go back in time on the 18th of November 1905 Chelsea played Crystal Palace for the first time and they lost 7-1 in a preliminary FA Cup game Interestingly, Chelsea were forced to play a league game on the same day, but won 1-0 versus Burnley. And as the league took priority over the cup, a reserve side played against Palace with five players making their debut. Frank Wolf and Walter Toomer made their one and only appearance in the blue shirt. Jim Craggy and Joe Goodwin also played their last games for the club. Chelsea also played and lost 2-1 to Palace in the FA Cup back in 1926. And we didn't play them again until the, this season, the 1969-70 season. A one-all draw was played out at the beginning of the season. However, Peter Osgood scored four goals as Chelsea won 5-1 at Sellers Park in December. In the FA Cup fifth round, Chelsea again beat Palace, this time 4-1. Ozzy gave us the lead with a header in the first half. Palace equalised early in the second half before John Dempsey, Peter Houseman and Hutchinson completed the route. And I mentioned earlier about Bobby Tambley and the club's record goal scorer had not featured much in this season. Um, but, Neil, I'd like you to tell us, what was the partnership in, of Ozzy and Hutch like? And, you know, why was it so good and what were their strengths? Well, as I mentioned, Ian was very you know, a courageous player, very brave. And Aussie was probably bet. Well, Aussie was supreme. I mean, you know, he could mix it as well. And, and I mean, he he was, you know, for a six foot two fella, you know, Aussie had great ball control, 
and uh, he was they were both good in the air but they supplemented each other that you know that that, that, that they they just they just seemed to play off each other and knew each other so well it was just a perfect fit you know i can only you know when i talk about partnerships if you think of latter day you know we talk about hasselbank and good johnson and um speedy and dixon you know <laughs> if you want to go back a little way there and and i always talk about the greatest partnership in my eyes was probably osgood and hutchins yeah that, sadly i don't think we're going to see partnerships like that for a long time with the way that the modern game goes with just no. having one up front so um yeah forgotten art form of uh, two goal scorers and two strikers playing together uh, a quarter-final tie with QPR came next, and like Crystal Palace, Chelsea hadn't played uh, them too many times before, with the first encounter only happening two seasons earlier when Chelsea won 4-0 at Loftus Road. Uh, QPR finished bottom that season and were relegated. On the 21st of February 1970, Chelsea travelled the short distance across West London to play QPR in the quarter-final they had Dave Clement, whose youngest son, Neil, went on to make four appearances for Chelsea in the 90s. Also, Dave's eldest son, Paul, is better known to Chelsea fans for his time as assistant manager under Carlo Ancelotti, winning the League and Cup double in 2010. And former Blues Terry Venables and Barry Bridges were both in the starting lineup for QPR that day. Neil, what memories do you have of Venables or Bridges, especially in a Chelsea shirt? Well, the very first game I went to... Um, I'd never seen, obviously, I hadn't seen much of uh, Barry Bridges, but of course he was an England centre forward. And, and when Ozzy was picked and wore the number nine, uh, Barry Bridges moved out to the right wing and, and wore number seven. And I remember being on those benches at the West Stand and I remember people around me saying, who is this upstart Osgood? Who does he think he is taking Barry Bridges' place? You know, and I thought, well, you know, Ozzy's, you know, I'd, I'd seen Peter Osgood a couple of times. I thought, well, he, you know, he's, he's supreme, but that was that was the feeling. I know Barry was very direct, and I think he got a few more England caps than two or three. Um, I think he played, you know, quite a few times. But um, getting on to uh, Terry Venables, um, of course, he had this sort of... Um, he, he was almost like, even if he wasn't the skipper, you still thought of him as being the skipper on, on the pitch because I think this is where he fell out with Tommy Doherty that, um, you know, the doc would send them out with, 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 the, with their instructions and Venables would call them together with Ron Harris and sort of, you know, come up with some other ideas. And um, all I remember, the, the first thing I remember about Terry Venables was a, a game that I didn't go to, but I was told a lot about it was where he scored a hat-trick against AS Roma in the Intercities Fairs Cup. And, uh, Bearing in mind Eddie McCready was sent off very early in the game, they, they beat Roma 4-1 with Terry Venables scoring, I think, his only hat-trick for the, for the club. But, um, yeah, he had an authority about him. Um, he strolled a bit, but, um, yeah, he, he, again, again he, he, I keep mentioning, I, I think he got a couple of England caps, but, again, not very many. Lovely. Thanks, Neil. Um... Uh, Chelsea again were wearing yellow shirts and blue shorts and they took an early lead after seven minutes when Charlie Cook's cross found Davy Webb on the edge of the six-yard box. Cook then found Ozzy a minute later, who made it 2-0. 20 minutes later, former blue Barry Bridges was brought down by Eddie McCready and a penalty was awarded to QPR. Terry Venables then took the penalty, which was saved by Peter Bonetti. 
However, the referee said that the cap moved too early and the kick had to be taken again. Venables made no mistake the second time uh, and he refused to celebrate the goal. Neil, what are your feelings about ex-players celebrating or not against their old club? Uh, and does any of these stick in your mind that you could tell us about? I, 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 this is a moot point because I don't really have any problem. I don't really have any problem with it. I think so long as you're not... If, if, if that club has been good to you and you don't want to ram it down their throat that you've scored against them... Um, I, I think it's, I think you know if, if you should just be celebrating the moment. I don't have an issue with uh, ex players celebrating goals against us, so long as so long as it's not done in a in a provocative sort of or, or dissenting way. Um, I can't remember many. I, I well, you might remember there was a case of Jimmy Ford Hasselbank scoring for Charlton at the Matthew Harding end and um, and and not celebrating and getting tumultuous applause for the fact that he didn't celebrate. Yeah, I was at that game. It was, um, yeah, rough. it was a nice, a nice tribute because obviously we'd still, yeah. still loved him. I think he'd left maybe a season too early, really. But um, yeah. yeah, it was almost apologetic that he'd scored. Which um, you know, yeah. for anybody that knows Jimmy Floyd, that was that was his only job really was just score, score goals. Um, That's right. Later on in the game, Barry Bridges hit the post with the header. For Osgood reacted to a mistake from the QPR keeper to make it three-one by half time. He then claimed a hat-trick when he made it 4-1 in the second half with a left-footed strike from the edge of the box. Bridges did get a consolation goal, but it wasn't enough, and Chelsea's 4-2 win secured a semi-final tie against Watford. At this point, Peter Osgood was a striker in form, and he'd scored 25 goals in 36 games for Chelsea during that season, including three hat-tricks. In fact, in his last nine games, he'd scored 15 goals, only failing to find the net against Arsenal at Highbury, but he did make two assists in the 3-0 win. His form was so good that Alf Ramsey gave him his England debut just four days later in a 3-1 win against Belgium. Now, you've already kind of touched on this a bit, um, Neil, um, but two things here. Uh, how good, well, a few things here. How good was Aussie during this period? How much would he be worth in today's transfer market? And why did he only get four caps for England? I'll start with the last bit about the four caps for England. Um, if you speak to anyone around that era, there were um, a plethora of players who were termed as maverick, and Aussie was one of them. And you can add to that the likes of Rodney Marsh, Tony Curry, um, Frank Worthington, Alan Hudson. They just didn't fit the bill, really, for, for, for England and Alf Ramsey. You know, he was used to, you know, the Bobby Moores and the Bobby Charltons and the people who wore the blazer and looked apart. And I think, you know, I could never understand why Aussie wasn't a shoo-in for England every game. You know, I, I remember even as a kid then, people saying, I think Brazil and Spain sort of said that if Osgood had been a Brazilian or a Spaniard, he would have got 50 caps, you know, but but not, not for England. And... Uh, Oh, my word. I mean, if you were to put a value on him at the time, I mean, he, he was just probably the Rolls Royce of, uh, of, of a, of a centre forward. I mean, he was, you know, in my eyes and in many people's eyes, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't the routine. Like, like, you know, Tottenham had Martin Chivers, who played regularly for England. Now, Martin Chivers was a great finisher, but you never saw him take players on and dribble around them or, or, or come deep and get the ball and, 
and, and take take it on like that. You know, the goals that Aussie got compared to the sort of um, routine finishes of Martin Chivers, uh, you know, you just couldn't compare them as footballers. And I remember Chivers had been he'd been um, a record buy for Spurs from Southampton, and I think at the time it was one hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds, and that was the transfer record at that time in about 67 68 something like that so if you were to put a price on aussie in today's market my word i'd probably say 150 to 200 million Chidge. jk in all the years you've been following chelsea you hardly ever miss a match home or away but how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on tv Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all... No more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's crazy to think that, uh, you know, that that was what he was, you know, he kind of the value he would have been worth at that, that time and, in a time when uh, later on Chelsea would need the money, um, you know, in years to come. But we had that asset just there. But I think um, holding on to him uh, has paid dividends for us in in our history. Um, On the 14th of March, 1970, Chelsea played Watford in the FA Cup semi-final. And like Birmingham and QPR, Watford were playing in Division 2. White Hart Lane was chosen as the neutral venue. Many Chelsea fans often refer to the stadium as three-point lane due to the fact that we always used to win there a lot. But at this time, the Blues had only won one of the last 10 games at the ground. Despite being founded in 1881, this was Watford's first ever match against Chelsea. And Chelsea took an early lead in the third minute when Alan Hudson's corner was flicked on by John Dempsey before David Webb slid the ball home. Terry Garber equalised 10 minutes later and the score remained one all at half-time. Aussie made it 2-1 with a header from close range. Then, with a quarter of an hour to go, Chelsea scored three more goals in six minutes to win the game 5-1 and book the Blues' place in the FA Cup final. Desmond Hackett of the Daily Express described Peter Hausman as one of the greatest players ever to wear the royal blue of Chelsea. 
Neil, you're at this game. So what are your memories of the day? And what can you tell us about Peter Houseman for those that don't know much about him? Well, anyone who might have caught, caught um, footage of this on YouTube will see that the pitch was absolutely abysmal. It was just sand all over it. And um, for a while, we got, we got a bit bogged down. And, you know, um, all, like you say, although we went in front after two or three minutes, Watford fought their way back into it. And I think the conditions suited them a lot better. And uh, Terry Garber equalised with a, a, a long-range shot that bounced in front of Peter Bonetti. Uh, I think, you know, in normal conditions, the cat might well have had it. But um, like you say, um, we got a grip, we got a stranglehold. And all right, Charlie Cook was sublime. But I always remember Peter Houseman and Alan Hudson actually started to run the show in those uh, to get those last four goals. And, um, you know, Peter Houseman was just the most underrated player um, probably to ever wear the blue. I, I don't know. I think. When I started going, I think he had a languid sort of style, um, but he had a cultured left foot. And, um, you know, the, his teammates thought the world of him. And uh, I think the other thing was that he was so neat and tidy that, you know, unlike George Best with his shirt outside, his shorts and his hair flying in the wind, Peter Houseman was a very, you know, a very neat young man. And um, I think... I think for some reason, people just sort of held that against him a bit. But it, it, like I say, he was cultured. In fact, you know, it was only years after, and I keep referring to England, that people said, my word, you know, Peter Houseman was good enough to play for England, and he was. Yeah, again, another player for me that I don't think uh, is spoken about enough, really, in terms of knowing much about his Chelsea career, like you say, very underrated in, in what he did. Uh, interestingly, in 1970, the FA began a third, fourth playoff uh, place in the FA Cup, and that was played the day before the Cup final. Man U beat Watford 2-0 that season, but the playoffs only lasted until 1974 before being scrapped due to falling attendances. As you mentioned earlier, at the end of March, Alan Hudson would sustain an ankle injury in a game against West Brom. And with the FA Cup final just 11 days away, there was no way that Huddy would be able to play. He was only 18 years old at the time and had played 37 of the 48 matches so far. What can you tell us about Alan Hudson at that time and what memories do you have of him? It was, it was really... Um hard to believe that this was his first sort of season. I think he'd made his debut in a one-off the year before. I think he made his debut in a 5-0 defeat at Southampton, uh, where he didn't really, you know, get looked at at all, although he didn't have a bad game by all accounts. But then, you know, the scoreline sort of overshadowed that. But um, I remember I went to a game... Um, you mentioned that run of draws, and one of them was with, I think, uh, it, well, it was at home to Everton, and it was a 1-1 draw. It was a brilliant game. It was on the ITV's The Big Match the next day. And I remember Jimmy Hill highlighted Alan Hudson and said, you know, this boy's got the eldest man's head on the youngest man's shoulders that he'd ever see. And Huddy did that day. He just dictated the play from the word go. And he was against, you know, the likes of Kendall, Ball and Harvey, who were the triumvirate at Everton, you know, when they won, well, you might remember, but when they won the league. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he was just unbelievable. You know, he was just, he just had class written over him. You know, not, nothing phased him. 
you know, he, he just he just ran some of these games from start to finish. Nice. And um yeah, I think obviously <clears throat> as he got older things things changed for him, sadly. Um but um but at the time I heard he was a, a genius on the on the football pitch and as you mentioned earlier, a maverick as well to boot. Um the 1970 FA Cup final would be contested by Chelsea and Leeds United. Neither team had ever won the FA Cup, but both were runners-up once in the previous five years. By the time of the final, Leeds were second in the table and Chelsea were fourth, but Everton had already won the league. On the 11th of April, 1970, Chelsea went to Wembley and the build-up to the FA Cup was very different back then. TV coverage of the event started at lunchtime on both BBC and ITV. Up to the minute news from the team's hotel, interviews with the players, children, a review of the cup so far, as well as the presentation of the teams to Hurrah Harness, Princess Margaret, all that just before kickoff. And Colour TV was relatively new to the UK, with the 1968 cup final being the first to be broadcast. Uh, most people at the time only had a black and white TV set. So, Neil, what was it like watching football in black and white? And do you have any good memories of it? Um, I actually, you know, I, I went to Wembley for the final, but but didn't go to the replay at Old Trafford. So um, I always remember that watching match of the day in in black and white was very strange. I, I remember um, also, uh, I remember one once everybody complained that the uh, the big match who had their their coverage on a Sunday afternoon, they had Arsenal playing Sheffield Wednesday one day, and both of them had. Uh, like Wednesday used to wear a blue shirt with with uh, white sleeves, and Arsenal had their traditional red with white sleeves. Both of them had white shorts and white socks. So when you watched it in black and white on a Sunday afternoon, you hadn't got a clue who was who was who or which way they were going a lot of time. <laughs> and, and I think this is what made made them realise that some, something had to give. I mean, you know, quite often. I mean, if you if you go back to the '67 Cup final, you know, Chelsea and Spurs, you know we wore all blue and Tottenham wore all white so that there was, you know, there was, there was no, you, you know, it was as plain as day that you could make out who, who was who, but no, I, I you know, I, I actually was in, in right at the front at, at the uh, end where Ian Hutchinson's equaliser went in with, with, you know, four minutes left, you know, just after Mick Jones had put Leeds in front. So, you know, just thinking about it now still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Nice. And um, as you say, you know, yourself uh, included in that crowd of 100,000 turned up at, at Wembley for the world's oldest and greatest cup competition. Uh, Captain Ron Harris led Chelsea out with the team wearing red tracksuit tops uh, and Leeds kicks the game off. Benetti made a couple of good saves before Jack Charlton gave Leeds the lead after 20 minutes with a header from a corner. Ron Harris and Eddie McCready were on the line, but they both missed the ball as it as it crossed over. Uh, Peter Osgood later had a decent attempt, but that was saved off the line by Jack Charlton. Five minutes before half-time, Chelsea were on the attack. Peter Houseman struck the ball from outside the box. It should have been an easy save for Gary Sprake in the Leeds goal, but his mistake made it 1-0. Neil, what was your reaction um, at Wembley when Houseman scored? Yeah, it was it was funny because it was like looking looking through a telescope because I as I say I was in the very front row of the terrace behind the the goal at the far end so you know I can remember Peter House making quite a good connection and it going along the ground for quite a while and it was only when um, 
we could see that Tommy Tommy Baldwin followed it into the net and had his arms raised that we realised that it had gone underneath Gary Spray. Nice. And, um, yeah, if you haven't seen the goal, you, you'll realise how much of a mistake it was. But, um, yeah, good for, good for us. Uh, and both teams had several chances in the second half with Leeds hitting the crossbar. In the 83rd minute, Leeds hit the post and then the ball rebounded back to Mick Jones, who gave his team the 2-1 lead, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, and Bonetti looked dejected after a fine display. However, with only four minutes left, John Hollins floated a free kick into the Leeds box, which found Hutch and his header flew past break to make it 2 all, uh, which is the, the scoreline that it ended and a replay was needed. Uh, Smithy, we haven't talked too much about him, but Peter Bonetti was by many people stand as the hero of that game. We haven't spoken much about him so far. What can you tell us about the cat? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you look at Leeds United, you might have heard of hotshot Peter Lorimer, Scottish international, and Eddie Gray. But they were both good strikers of the ball from long range. And, uh, you know, Peter made three or four excellent tip-overs, you know, from from efforts from those two wingers. And, um, well, all in all, uh, he was the most agile goalkeeper, you know, you ever saw. I mean, you know, unlike, Banks and some of the others. Peter wasn't the most physical of men, but you know, and, and you know, I believe he was what five foot ten inches. I don't think he was six foot tall, but you know, he, he was so agile. Hence the nickname the cat. That you know, he, he caught the eye all the time. You know, with his saves. And you know, I can remember as a kid watching match of the day on a Saturday night, and you know, Kenneth Wustonone waxing lyrical about about him as a goalkeeper, and you know. And he always he always liked to be, I think, on the receiving end. He always said that if, if he was if he was having to make save after save, that kept him trim, you know. Whereas, you know, if he didn't have much to do, it was every chance he might let one in like well, not like Sprague, but something similar like that, you know. And I remember, you know, he loved games at Liverpool in particular, where the cop used to just, you know, give him a you know, a resounding welcome and, and cheer him off at the end, even if he, you know. Even if, well, he, I don't think he kept one clean sheet there, but he saved penalties at Liverpool as well. So, uh, oh, I just I could talk about Peter Bonetti all day. You know, I was pleased to be at you know the memorial, the service last season, and uh, you know he was just one of the greatest goalkeepers ever. Lovely. I'd I'd like to take you up on that opportunity of talking about Bonetti at, at length uh, in another episode, Neil. That'd be fantastic if you'd be happy yes. to do that. Um, getting on with the uh, the final with the replay. So on the 29th of April 1970, the cup final replay was held at Old Trafford. Uh, 62,708 fans attended the game, whilst 28.5 million watched on TV. It was the fourth highest ever TV audience for a special event, with the most being 32 million for the 1966 World Cup final. Chelsea fielded the same lineup as the first game, but there was a change of kit, as you mentioned earlier. This time they wore yellow socks rather than their traditional white. And there's been a lot of talk about kits over the years. And Nike released a 1970-inspired version for just one game 50, uh, 50 years after this. Neil, what are your, what's your thought of the, the 1970s Cup final kit? And what are your best or worst kits uh, in our history, in your opinion? Yeah, when they brought that kit out and we wore it for that one game, I, I, I was very disappointed. I think it was against Nottingham Forest. Last, was it last season, the season before? Season before. 
and I, and I thought that you know we we you know it, it was every chance that we might roll it out and wear it wear it you know on another occasion because everybody said you know I like the plainish plainish kits you know the retro kits and and I and I you know I, I really thought that that was uh, the fact that it had so much history that you know we, we won the cup wearing it whenever we uh, then wore the yellow gold stockings in away games I always you know, it, it, it just brought back nostalgia. You know, you thought, oh, you know, this is the kit. And you wanted to wear it whenever, you know, whenever whenever possible. But <clears throat> getting on to the worst one, although although some great players wore it, I never got my head round when we made that change to graphite and tangerine worn by Rude Hullet and Mark Hughes and that era. I forget what year it was. It must have been, I don't know, 94, something like that. Yeah, 94, 95, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just couldn't get my head, you know, it looked too jazzy. And as for graphite and tangerine or grey and orange, as I called it, I, 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 I didn't really, I didn't really like that one. I've always felt that we should stick to blue and white wherever possible, varieties of blue and white and shades of yellow as and when. You know some of the, some of the kits we've had in recent years. Um, some of the black ones I haven't, you know, really got my head round. You know, but I I, I always like to see us, you know, wearing. If, if we can't wear blue, I like to see some sort of variety of white or yellow. Nice. Um, I, I wouldn't disagree with you, but I, my son is very happy to wear anything Chelsea. But he quite like, he wears the yellow kit um, quite a lot. Um, but he likes the, the green and orange one that they've had this season as well. Um, <clears throat> Chelsea and Leeds built up quite a fierce rivalry in the 1960s, and it came to a head in this replay. Both clubs had players like Ron Chopper Harris and Norman Bite Your Legs Hunter, who had a reputation as hard men. This match is often referred to as the dirtiest game of football in history due to the number of rough tackles and all-out assaults. And despite this, only one player received a yellow card, which was Ian Hutchinson. Mick Jones gave Leeds the lead around the 35th minute and after a good run through the Chelsea defence. And in the 78th minute, Chelsea were on the attack. Charlie Cook received the ball and he crossed the ball beautifully to Aussie. And his diving header beat David Harvey in the Leeds goal, who had come in for Gary Sprake. And the photo of this is one of the most iconic in Chelsea history. But not only that, this goal meant that Peter Osgood had scored in every round of the FA Cup that season. And since recording this podcast in 2022, this feat has still not been matched. And after 90 minutes, the game ended one all, and extra time was needed. In the 104th minute, Chelsea won a throw in. It was taken by Hutch, and his windmill-like throw was flicked on and eventually headed in by David Webb. Chelsea were in the lead for the very first time in the FA Cup final. Neil, tell us, what was it like when Webby scored? Well, as I say, I, I was a 14-year-old schoolboy watching in my auntie and uncle's house because they had a colour TV, uh, which we didn't have at home. So we, we went to my uncle and aunt, who were Chelsea fans, and so were my cousins. Um, I remember um, my, my, my father leapt up in their sitting room and um, punched the ceiling and made an indentation in it, in it, and uh, then <laughs> then ran then ran out into the road and started turning cartwheels, you know. And uh, this this 
this without any alcohol involved at all. Um, and, and, and yeah, it was just unbelievable. My, my, my first thought was I looked at my mother and, uh, you know, she'd vetoed it me going to Old Trafford and uh, she knew what I was going to say that, you know, could I have the next day off school to go, go up and see the, the homecoming procession? But yeah, that was it was it was a uh, um, unbelievable because we, you know when I first started watching Chelsea, we'd we'd always you know we we'd got to three successive semi-finals in those mid sixties, all of them at Villa Park. We finally beat Leeds in the semi-final in '67, then lost to our old nemesis Spurs at Wembley. Then we'd had two more seasons where we'd lost to Birmingham and West Brom, so to finally finally win it and as you said you know we'd, we'd, we'd been favourites quite a few times or or, or near favourites so you know it was it was well overdue and um, you know and it, and it was it was a fantastic thing. Thank you and um, Chelsea would as, as we know hold on to their lead and were crowned the FA Cup winners for the first time in their history. There's a truly magical moment for the fans as Ron Harris lifted the cup high into the Manchester air and the next day as you you said the Blues had an open-top bus parade through the streets of Chelsea and thousands of fans came to uh, cheer out their uh, cheer on their heroes, even though your mum wouldn't let you come. Uh, what did it mean to the fans and yourself that Chelsea had won their FA Cup? And was there an excitement about playing in Europe the following season? Yeah, you know, we dabbled with the Intercities Fairs Cup, as it was called in those days, in, and we and we'd done fairly well. We'd had some had some good results in that. So the the uh, the thought of now playing in, you know, what was apart from the uh, European Cup, which is now the Champions League, you know, it was still a very, very big competition, and and you know, and and we were we were pleased to be able to, uh, you know, we were very excited about, you know, who who just like nowadays. Who you'd be drawing and who you who you'd get, you know. And as I said, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I knew I knew um, some of my neighbours who went to Old Trafford uh, in the village where I lived. You know, I remember seeing them the next day, and they'd saying that you know they'd waited fifty years for that. You know, so it was fantastic that you know that, that those people had, had actually seen us carry a couple. I mean, I'd only been going, you know, five or six years, but some of these fellas. You know, being you know, you know, it, it was it was the highlight of their Chelsea supporting careers. Nice, and then um, I think today uh, that's kind of been lost for a lot of a lot of people because we've been so successful. You know that people growing up are just used to us winning trophies, but for for a different generation, it was very different and um, very very special to win those trophies when they happened. So, uh, and there you have it. So Chelsea won their first FA Cup back in 1970 and have gone on to win many more trophies since then. Smithy, how would you summarise that cup run and also that team of 1970? Well, if, if you think about it, I was just looking. Um, we, you, you know, sadly, Alan Hudson couldn't, couldn't make the final. And yet um, it was the same 12, basically. You know, Tommy Baldwin came in for... Alan Hudson and as you said you know Aussie um, missed the Burnley game <clears throat> and I think Charlie Cook missed a couple I think he missed the uh, Burnley game and that but you know it, it was the 12 plus Marvin Hinton so it was a very select band of, of players I think Marvin Hinton was named number 12 for every game and yet only came on he came on in extra time 
for Ron Harris at Wembley. And then just as uh, a last few minutes at Old Trafford, he replaced Peter Osgood. So it was a very select tight band of players. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think the thing that people remember is that um, Leeds were a bit of a killing machine, really. You know, they, 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 they didn't have our panache. They didn't have our flair. They didn't have a, you know, a Charlie Cook or, or, or a Peter Osgood. You know, in in their side, um, you know, I, I think I think that you know, the neutrals. I think a lot of people said to me that they wanted Chelsea to win the cup. Yeah, lots lots changed since then. Certainly, <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, well, thank you for that, Smithy. Um, if people wanted to follow you, where can they where can they find you? Um, I'm. At Smithy East Stand on Twitter. Great, and um, I know you've got um, a Chelsea book. I'll let you have a little plug if you wanted to mention anything about that at all. Um, yeah, it's been out a few years now. Um, it's it's um, titled "A Chelsea A to Z: Where Were You When We Were Shocking?" and it's on Amazon. So if you haven't got it, go and get it now or get it for a friend for birthday, yeah, Christmas, that, that, bar mitzvahs. catalogue's an eight, is it? I, just, I was just thinking of all the different games that we, we weren't too good in over the time that I've been supporting Chelsea because other people brought books out about, you know, the good times. And I just thought, a bit tongue-in-cheek, I just sort of catalogued a load of away days which weren't too clever. Yeah, and it's, it's those I, days I that also, make... Yeah, I also contribute to the... Uh, the CFC UK fanzine. I do a trivia uh, piece in there for every every uh, every issue. Yeah, and if you haven't done the the quiz, uh, if you've ever tried it, you, you've really got to know your stuff, Smithy, to uh, <laughs> to do well. But it's um, it's a good learning tool um, at, at the same time. So uh, thanks very much. That's that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening to the Chelsea Heritage Podcast with your host Chelsea Chadder. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 